Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Heather. I have a website and a podcast called Alice is Everywhere and I am so excited to talk to you today about my very favorite book in the entire world, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Now some people think Alice in Wonderland is just a fantasy book. It's just a fairy tale story of a girl who falls down a rabbit hole and then travels through a magical land meeting crazy characters and talking animals. And you know what, really, that would be enough. I mean, any book where you travel through a magical land and talk to animals is awesome. But I think Alice in Wonderland is so much more than that. In fact, I plan to prove to you today, chapter by chapter, that Alice is one of the most courageous characters in all of literature. That is every book ever written, ever. Now, before we get into that, though, I am wondering how much do you know about Alice in Wonderland? I bet you know more than you think. Maybe you've seen the old Disney movie with Alice with her blonde hair and brightly dressed. Maybe you saw the more recent movie that had Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter. Maybe you had the little golden book when you were a little kid. Or you've seen characters on t-shirts or in music videos. Alice really is everywhere. That's why I named my podcast that. Her influence on popular culture started right when the book came out, and it continues even today. Now, by the way, the book came out in 1865. Now, that was a very long time ago. Here in the U.S., Abraham Lincoln was still president. These are the original illustrations for the book, some of them. They're by a man named John Tenniel. Now for this presentation, I wanted to use some more modern illustrations. Now, Alice in Wonderland is so popular that it has been illustrated literally hundreds and hundreds of times. Now, these are some of my favorites. As I said, in the top right, there's Greg Hildebrandt. He draws her kind of like the Disney Alice, right, with the blue dress and the blonde hair. So does Helen Oxenberry below that, although that's more of like a, a little kid picture book style of illustration. Then in the middle, we've got Allison Jay's folk art. Bottom left, Rodney Matthews. He kind of puts Alice in a more like science fiction setting, but you can't really tell that by the little crop I made right there. And then upper left, look at that. Camille Rose Garcia makes Alice a little goth girl, which is just amazing. Now, I did just notice I happened to pick Alice's that are all blonde, but that is not necessarily the case. People have pictured her however they want. There's no real description of her in the book. And in fact, the real Alice in real life, the girl who inspired this book, she had very dark hair with kind of heavy bangs. And yes, there was a real Alice, but that's a story for another time. Chapter one, down the rabbit hole. You've probably heard that expression before, down the rabbit hole. It's kind of entered our lexicon. So the very beginning of the book, Alice is feeling kind of sleepy and stupid, lying in the grass. But then she sees a white rabbit, fully clothed, with a pocket watch go running by her. 
And naturally, she's very curious about this, so she follows him right down a rabbit hole. Now, this is the first instance of Alice being very brave because she's not worried at all. You'd think she might be terrified, but she just kind of rolls with it. As you can see in a few of these illustrations, there's things on the shelves of the rabbit hole. So she just checks those out as she's flying by. She even takes a nap at some point. So even though she's very surprised to be falling down a rabbit hole, she doesn't lose her head. She doesn't panic. She just kind of goes with whatever's going on. and She's not scared. Now the fall finally comes to an end and we're in chapter two. So she follows the rabbit and ends up in this long hall with doors all over the place. Now one of the doors leads to this beautiful garden that she really wants to get to, but she's too big. Now she finds a bottle that says, drink me. Now this is a recurring theme throughout the book. Alice is gonna change sizes a lot by eating and drinking magical things she finds along the way. So Alice uses her head, she looks at it, makes sure it isn't marked poison, and then she drinks it and she becomes very small. But then she's too small to get the key to go through the door and then she gets bigger and then she's so upset that she can't fit through the door that she starts crying. And after a few more size changes, she ends up swimming in her own pool of tears. Now, I was reading Alice in Wonderland to some kids once, and this little boy said, hey, Alice is crying. I don't think that's very brave. <laughs> I disagree, little boy. <laughs> I think showing your emotions is one of the bravest things you can do. And sometimes after you cry, you actually feel a lot better. So that's another way to be brave is to show your emotions just like Alice did. Now, chapter three, after she's been in this pool of her own tears, she runs into a lot of other animals who have fallen in there, little mice and birds and whatnot. She hangs out with them in chapter three. And what's funny is they all start talking to each other like they've known each other their whole lives. So Alice has just this confidence that she exudes. And I think confidence is definitely a form of bravery. You're wondering what's going on here. They have a race, and uh, in the bottom two photos on the right there, or illustrations on the right, uh, she has to give away prizes. So she has some candy in her pocket and she has to give them away. Now, chapter four, you've probably seen some images of this. Now, the white rabbit sends, he mistakes Alice for his housekeeper, and he sends her to his house to find his fan and his gloves. Now Alice eats something that makes her so big she can hardly fit in the house anymore, as is pictured on the bottom there. But again, she doesn't panic, and in fact, she starts using logic. Now you wouldn't think logic, eating or drinking something to become big or small is logic, but in this book it is, in Wonderland it is. And so she gradually finds something to eat that makes her smaller, and she is able to run out of that house. So she gets out of that predicament, by using her smarts, by staying calm and not panicking and always being brave. Chapter five, advice from a caterpillar. Alice isn't scared at all. And the caterpillar, he's kind of an unpleasant character. He's kind of rude. He's asking her who she is. He's not offering any helpful advice at all. So Alice removes herself from the situation, which I think is a great lesson to learn. It's part of being brave enough to follow through on your convictions. She just thinks, mm, this guy's not helping me. I'm gonna take off. Chapter six, 
pig and pepper. Pig and Pepper is where we meet the treasure cat. Now in the Disney version, I'm sure you've seen him. He's got the pink and purple stripes. This along the top here, he can disappear and appear at will. That's the Helen Oxenberry illustration on top. Now, Alice does something smart in this chapter and that when she first sees the treasure cat, she thinks, ooh, boy, he's got kind of long claws and and big teeth, maybe maybe he's not a, a friendly cat. Maybe I shouldn't talk to him. But then she decides, boy, you know what? I need some help, though. I am going to talk to him. And he actually turns out to be one of the most helpful characters in the entire book. He gives her directions. He tells her which way to go. He even tells her about a croquet game that's happening later on. And again, this whole time, Alice is still just trying to make her way into that beautiful garden she saw in the very first chapter, but hasn't found it yet, keeps coming across these really interesting characters like Caterpillar and the disappearing Cheshire Cat. Chapter seven may be the most famous chapter of all. The Mad Tea Party is kind of like a popular theme for real birthday parties and, and it generally is thought of as something fun. In the book, it's actually just very strange. Like she sits down and this Hatter and March Hare and Dormouse they kind of don't even make any sense when they talk. They're asking riddles that have no answers. They're kind of rude too. In fact, the Hatter, the very first thing he says to Alice is, your hair wants cutting. Just so rude, that means she needs a haircut. But you know what Alice says back to him? You shouldn't make personal remarks. She is courageous enough to stand up for herself and tell this person that's not okay. And I think that is really, really brave. And again, kind of like the caterpillar situation, once she realizes, ugh, these people are not helpful in the least, she removes herself from the situation and goes on her merry way. Chapter eight, we found the garden, finally, the magical garden. And you know how she finds it? It's totally random. There's just a door in a tree and she walks through it and here we are. Now the beautiful garden though, it's not all Alice hoped for. There's a croquet game going on, which she loves croquet. And in fact, when this book came out in 1865, croquet was kind of a new game and it was all the rage. So I'm sure that was fun for little kids reading this back in the 1860s. But there's this king and queen there and the queen in particular is very unpleasant. She's saying things like off with their heads. But you know, nothing bad is really going to happen. I mean, Alice fell through the center of the earth and was totally fine. So from the very first chapter, we know nothing really bad is going to happen in Wonderland. But the queen is, you know, kind of acting crazy, yelling at everybody. And so it's really disappointing, right? We've been waiting the whole book, <laughs> two thirds of the book, to get to this garden. But Alice, you know, she just tries to to not be too affected by it. Like, yeah, I wanted to get here. It's disappointing, but I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to make the best of the situation. And in fact, when the queen says to her, hey, do you want to leave the garden and go talk to this mock turtle? She says, yeah, sure. You know what? I understand that circumstances have changed. This garden isn't that great. I'm going to be brave enough to change my mind here. And she goes to visit the mock turtle. So there's two creatures here. The mock turtle is the one that has the shell, of course. The other one's called a griffin. And again, Alice does not judge a book by the cover because when she's sitting there in between them, she's noticing, ooh, they have kind of big teeth and kind of scary claws. But 
they turn out to be really nice. I mean, really goofy too, but but really nice. And this totally pays off because she hears some great stories from them, really funny stories, particularly from the mock turtle. And in fact, chapter 10, they teach her this crazy dance, the lobster quadrille. Quadrille is just another name for, for dance. And I'm trying to think <laughs> what lesson can be learned from this chapter. I'm not really sure. I guess be courageous enough to try new things. There she is dancing there on the right with them. Now, at the end of chapter 10, they hear something in the distance. Alice says, hey, what's that? And the griffin says, it's the trial. Now, this is the first we've heard of any trial or courtroom. But sure enough, we go back. Chapter 11, who stole the tarts? Now, the basis of this trial is the queen of hearts thinks the knave of hearts stole her tarts. Alice on the top left there is just hoping they'll pass those out as refreshments. She doesn't know their evidence yet. Now, during this trial, Alice is called to the witness stand. This is very surprising, of course. She has no idea what's going on, but she gets up there and she's very brave and she answers all their questions. She does a little more than that, actually. The queen keeps saying things that don't make a lot of sense, like, hey, let's have the sentence first and the trial later. And Alice says, stuff and nonsense. What? That is pretty sassy. That's pretty much like saying, no way, queen. And just to give you some idea of how extraordinary a character Alice is, let me tell you what life was like in Victorian times when this book was written. At some point, I think in chapter two, probably the Pool of Tears chapter, Alice mentions a bathing machine. Now, I had never heard that phrase in my life, bathing machine. So I looked up what it was. Now, what it is, is this giant cart on wheels. And in Victorian times, when women would go to the beach and want to go swimming, they would fully clothed, get in the cart, change into their bathing suit, which probably went like from their neck down to their ankles. Then someone would pull the cart into the water so that she could get in the water without anybody seeing her. Like they thought it was improper for a woman to be out there like swimming and exercising and having a good time. This is what life was like in Victorian times. Women did not have nearly the same rights as men and little children especially were not looked upon as anything particularly useful to have around. And so the fact that Alice is traveling by herself through this magical land, feeling comfortable to talk to anybody, using her wits, using her smarts, it's, it's just really a remarkable book for the time period. And of course, it's still remarkable even today. It's still so popular. Okay, back to the story. So the trial, it isn't quite over, but all of a sudden, the king and queen and everyone in the courtroom rises in the air because, oh, did I forget to mention they're actually playing cards, <laughs> the king and queen and the knave and all that. So they go flying in the air. And then Alice wakes up. There's leaves falling on her face. Spoiler alert, it was all a dream. And Alice's magical adventures are over, at least until the book sequel, Through the Looking Glass, which um, is supposed to take place six months after this one. So what did we learn from Alice today? I hope that when you run into a situation or you need to be a little bit brave, you can just ask yourself, 
what would Alice do? And she wouldn't panic. She wouldn't prejudge. She doesn't judge books by the cover. She would think things through, speak her mind, be brave enough to show her emotions, and always be courageous. And there's my website down there. And I'm putting it there because I am hoping that I have got you so interested in this book, you want to read it now. Now, it's available, of course, at pretty much any bookstore. It's also available for free online at a website called Project Gutenberg, and also on my website. That's why I put it there. Alice is everywhere. I have the whole text of the book there, and also my podcast, the first 25 chapters or so, I just read the book to you and tell you all of the secrets, all the behind-the-scenes stories, and it's really, really fun. So if you don't feel like reading, you can listen to it as well. Again, my name is Heather, and I want to thank you for listening today about my very favorite book and my very favorite character, the very courageous Alice in Wonderland. Talk soon. Bye.